Hello and welcome to another episode of the Overcoming Life Podcast. We've been talking about uh, Romans, the Epistle of Romans, and we are going to be talking about the imputed righteousness that is given to us. So I was reading Romans yesterday on TikTok Live. Most of you guys probably know me from TikTok. You guys have clicked the link and have followed me to this podcast and, you know, bless you guys. I hope you guys get something out of this. This is around chapter four of Romans. So good, bro. So good. I just used bro. Sorry. So in the last chapter, we proved that favorable ruling, that is when someone has favor for you or someone gives you favor, that, that is exact, that is grace. And it's, it's, Something that someone, it's not that they owe you, but it's just something that, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show this guy favor. That's what grace is. And it's not given and it's not obtained by presenting your own works. It's not by, oh, look, you owe me this. If someone, if you have to work for something, if you, well, let's say this. If you work for something and you're expected to get something back because you're working, then that's not grace. That's not favor. It's someone owing you something. God doesn't owe anyone anything. He gives us favor. So we do things with a good heart. Um, and the fact is, is we don't really, we just do what we need to do. And he does what he needs to do. That is give us the grace. And that grace can only be attained through faith in Jesus. Paul tells us that we have to actually receive it by faith and what we have to receive by faith. So here's, a, here's what you, we receive by faith, guys. In Romans chapter 4, we see the discussion on the imputation of righteousness. This is what we receive by faith, righteousness. So where God calls what is as though it already were, he has already made a reference to the Day of Atonement in Romans chapter 3 verse 25. Speaking of the blood of the goat that was sprinkled on the mercy seat as a propitiation, that is an expiation for our sin. That is a covering for our sin. But Romans chapter 4 begins this idea. It enlarges this idea and shows us the underlying implications of what this actually means. Because it's amazing. Romans 4 is the New Testament exposition of the work that Jesus did on the cross, which fulfilled prophecy of the first goat that was killed on the Day of Atonement. So he goes on to say, what then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? Abraham is known as the father of faith. So we must uh, turn to Abraham again to see what his faith achieved him. For if Abraham, verse 2, was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. Paul already made a point in Romans chapter 3, verse 27, that no person can boast in his presence about his achievements because all have failed at some point in time in the law. All have sinned, all are under the law, and the law cannot justify any sinner. It was not made to justify the sinner. It was not made to justify anyone, not even Abraham. For what does the scripture say? Verse 3, and Abraham believed God and it was recognized, logisma, to him as righteousness. He believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not reckoned as a favor, but as what is due. You guys understand that? So if you are employed by somebody, if you're in a labor who is employed by someone 
and your work five, nine to five, you expect to get paid, right? If you don't get paid, paid, that's in lightweight robbery. So this person now owes you a debt, right? But we don't owe God. God doesn't owe us anything, of course. But Paul compares this laborer with the unemployed. The reality is that we are the unemployed. A worker deserves to be paid, and the employer owes wages to his employees. But an unemployed man is given alms. Alms for the poor, alms for the poor. You guys know that? That is us, and that is done as a favor. So, of course, yes, we work. Of course, these are good works, sure. But we are unemployed, and God is just doing us a favor. He is giving us grace. So Paul is quoting Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, to show that God's favor or his grace was extended to Abraham, not because of his works, but on the grounds of his faith. Faith is simply a matter of believing what God has said. Faith is just believing what he said, guys. That is it. Believe what he said, then you have faith. The word pistis is a noun that means faith. The verb form is pistuo, pistuo which we translate as believe. Because in the English, we do not use faith as a verb. We say, I believe you, not I faith you. Some have tried to make a distinction between faith and belief when they, in fact, come from the same Greek word. The only difference is that one is the noun and the other is the verb. Hence, Abraham believed God and because, well, he believed God because he had faith. He believed because he had faith. To reckon, count, or impute. Subheading. The most important Greek word to understand is logizomai. Logizomai. L-O-G-I-Z-O-M-A-I. Translated as reckoned. The King James translated in various ways. Reckoned, counted, imputed. Paul uses this word 15 times in Romans chapter 4, but its real definition is given in verse 17, when God calls what it is not as though it were. Paul uses David as a second illustration of how righteousness is imputed by faith. So here's what David said. Just as David said, this is verse 6 of uh, Romans, just as David also speaks of the blessing upon the man to whom God reckons righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Blessed is this man. And this is taken from Psalms 32, verse 1 and 2, quoting from the Septuagint, the Greek translation. The Septuagint was the standard showing how Hebrew words were to be expressed in Greek. So, whereas the Hebrew word for reckon is has... Hav, Kashav, the Septuagint translates this word as Lajizi, Lajizamai. Sorry, guys, I'm butchering these words. This is true for both Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, and Psalms 32, verse 1 and 2. So, Paul shows that not only Abraham, but David spoke of reckoning men righteousness. David defines it as this the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. David acknowledges that the man is sinful, but somehow the Lord does not take it into account. He forbears or he tolerates it in the sense that Paul mentions earlier in Romans chapter 3, verse 25. But what on, on what grounds, guys? Well, because the sins have been covered. And we read this in Romans chapter 4, verse 7. In other words, it's all about the covering, guys. It's all about what Jesus did on the cross, the atonement of sin, 
The Hebrew word kafar means to cover. In fact, our English word cover is derived from kafar. Cover. Kafar. Cover. The day of atonement then is the day when the first when the blood of the first goat was sprinkled on the mercy seat in order to cover sin. David said that a man was blessed when his sin was covered because God then did not take into account his sin. To impute, to reckon, or to account is a marvelous provision of God, and it is an important feature of the law of faith. By faith, our sin is covered by the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross. Yet to really understand this concept, and I hope you guys do, we must understand that there was a second goat whose job it was to remove sin. If you guys want to learn about that, go ahead and see Leviticus chapter 16, verse 20 through 22. Matter of fact, I'll just read it right now. Verse 20 says, when he finishes atoning for the holy place in the tent of meeting, he shall offer the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both of his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the sons of Israel and their transgressions. Isn't this amazing? In regard to all their sins, and he shall lay on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who stands in readiness. The goat shall bear on itself all their iniquities into a solitary, solitary land, and he shall release the goat into the wilderness. Isn't that amazing? So that is the second coming of Christ. That is what he does. In his first coming, he covers sin. His second coming, he removes sin. So in verse 9, Paul says, Is this blessing then upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? So now he's making a distinction between the circumcised and the uncircumcised, which generally are the Jewish and the non-Jewish. For we say faith was reckoned to Abraham as righteousness. Well, how was it reckoned? Was it reckoned while he was circumcised or when he was uncircumcised? Then he answers the question. Well, it wasn't when he was circumcised. Abraham was not circumcised when righteousness was imputed to him, but when he was uncircumcised. So Abraham was circumcised in Genesis chapter 17, verse 24. He was blessed with righteousness in Genesis chapter 15. So now Abraham was 99 years old. This is Genesis chapter 17, verse 24. Now Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. But God imputed righteousness to him by faith years earlier, before he had any children. So, since Ishmael was born with Abraham when he was just 86 years old, the promise came prior, obviously, before to that time. In fact, the context shows that it was precisely because he had no children that he was concerned about the promises of God being fulfilled. So he confided in God in Genesis 15, too, that he was childless, and the only heir at that time would have been Eleazar of Damascus, his steward. God then told him to count the stars and said, so shall your descendants be. So Abraham was reckoned righteousness long before his circumcision, long before he had any children. In verse 11, we read, and he received the sign, Simeon, 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 that's the Greek word for sign, of circumcision, a seal of righteousness, of faith, which he had whilst uncircumcised that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. So there are people who aren't circumcised, and it doesn't matter because Abraham was the father of those who believe, but he is also the father to the circumcision too. That is those who have believed, who have had the oracles of God, who have had the law and believe by faith in Jesus. So he, he is the father of not only the uncircumcision, but he is also the father of the circumcision. In verse 12, he says, 
those who are not only of the circumcision, but also who follow in the steps of faith of our father, Abraham, which he had while he was uncircumcised. So these Jews um, and everyone really in Israel, but mostly the Jews, Benjamin and the tribe of Benjamin, the Levites, Levitical priest, they were saying, well, look, we have Abraham as a father. And they gloried in that, that, look, he is, he is our father. He's such a great man. He's such a great person. And we are of his blood. And therefore, he is our father. Turns out, he's not only the father of those who are circumcised physically, but he's also circum- uh, of those who are uncircumcised by nature of their faith. Those who follow the faith of Abraham are the ones who are his true children. So, circumcision is a testimony of an inward faith, but not all such people testify of their true inward condition. One must also follow in the steps of the faith of Father Abraham in order to have a valid outward testimony. Abraham preceded Moses and the Old Covenant. Even though he was the first to receive the sign of circumcision, yet that circumcision did not justify Abraham, nor did it make him righteous, because he was righteous before he even had circumcision. It was a matter of obedience after he had already been justified by faith. So, with Moses and all the others, how were they justified? Well, they were also justified on account of their faith. No one was ever justified by their works, guys. It was only when men came to depend on their own decision, their own will, their own self-discipline, their own fleshly ability to perform their good intentions, that their justification came to depend upon the work of the law. There was nothing wrong with committing oneself to following the law, guys, as long as it was understood that their faith prior is what justified them. So, so I mean, many Christians today look just like this. People depending on their own decision, their own will, their own self-discipline. Oh, I get up every morning at 9 a.m., have a drink of coffee, and read my Bible, and journal, and pray, and that's what keeps my relationship with God strong. And so they think they're justified by that. And they're seeking to justify their relationship with God. And they're seeking to receive favor from God by what they do, how they pray, what they say. That's their own works. It's their own ability to perform. So, unfortunately, Judaism does not understand this. Unfortunately, most Christians today do not understand this. And this is their downfall today. Judaism is of the opinion that if they can be zealous enough in keeping the law, that God will view them with favor, give them grace, and justify them in the divine court. That is to rule in their favor. But then God owes them, right? God doesn't owe anyone. Paul refutes this in Romans 4.14 by saying, if those who are of the law are heirs, then faith is made void and the promise is nullified. Do you guys understand this? You understand why um, Zionism can be so dangerous, especially Christian Zionism, um, and their support for Jews who have rejected Jesus, who say, yeah, well, as long as they are you know, doing the things of the law, then you know, they will be justified. No, no one is justified by the works of the law. By the works of the law, no man can be justified. And that's what Paul has already said. He said those who are of the law, are heirs. He said, if those who are of the law are heirs, that is, if they are um, seeking to be justified uh, in receiving the inheritance of God and receiving um, the rulership of God and receiving the grace and the favor of God, then faith is made void and the promise is nullified, which means that the promise to, um, really the promise of Abraham is nullified. Their faith is, his faith of Abraham was nullified. It means it means nothing. 
Judaism is of the opinion that those who are of the law are heirs. But Paul insists that to be an heir of the promise, you have to have faith. If you don't have faith, you can't be an heir. To put it another way, being an heir is not about being of Moses, but being of Abraham. The law came through Moses, but grace and peace came through Jesus Christ. So favor and peace came through Jesus Christ, right? But that favor comes by faith, the faith of Abraham, the same faith that Abraham had. Moses has his place, as does the law. But to make him the justifier is to misplace him in the divine plan. How the law brings wrath. All right, here's verse 15. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. So some interpret Paul's statement to mean that God gets angry at any time anyone tries to be obedient to the law. That's not what Paul means, guys. The law brings wrath, guys. Not because we are obedient, but because we are disobedient, that is, sinners. The law cannot be happy with any man in his sin. That is why God has put literally every person under the law. Everyone is under his wrath because all have sinned. If you sin, that puts you under the law, okay? And if you are under the law, then, well, you are then under the wrath of the law and under the wrath of God, of course, who is the judge. Our justification is based on Passover, Apart from the law given at Pentecost, it is purely by faith, guys. You remember Passover? They put the blood on the, the lamppost and they just believed that the blood would, would save them and their firstborn children. It is purely by faith, guys. Even before you learn obedience, it's just saying, I believe. I believe in his word. I believe what he said. Okay? So Paul goes on to say, this huge, this basic truth, where there is no law, there is no violation. And it applies really to the feast of Passover. Since Passover took place prior to the giving of the law, our righteousness is faith-based apart from the law. And hence, we are not charged with a violation of the law, right? So verse 16, for this reason it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace in order that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, not only of those who are of the law, but also of those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of all. And his point here is to show us that grace is universal, with contrast to the Judaic view, or the Judaistic view, that they alone were heirs to the promise. No, now all have become heirs to the promise on the grounds that they were um, on the grounds of faith, not on the grounds that they were given the law. The Jews thought that they, had, they were heirs to the promise because they were given the law. We believe that we have been given a promise, not because we have been given the law, but because of faith in Jesus and our faith in the one who was law abiding and who fulfilled the law. He is, um, he is our righteousness. Then we get imputed righteousness. So faith is what makes a person a son of Abraham. So what is imputed to children of Abraham? Let's check this out. In Romans chapter four, verse 17 it's not translated properly in the NASB, so here's the emphatic di- diaglot. Verse 17 says, As it has been written, a father of many nations, ethnos, I have constituted thee, in the presence of that God whom he believed, whom makes alive the dead and calls things not being as though existing. So remember that, that person that you believe can't be saved because they're so evil or they're so bad or they don't believe or they always argue or they always debate or they always have something to say and they don't, they say that God's dumb, they say that God's stupid, blah, blah, this and the other. Well, 
How about this? God, who makes the alive dead, excuse me, he makes alive the dead and calls things not being as though existing. He calls those things which are not as though they were. So how about we just believe God that he can do that, that he calls things not being as though existing. The verse, the first part of verse 17 quotes from Genesis 15, or excuse me, Genesis chapter 17, verse 5. And this is a promise to Abraham that he would be the father of many ethnos. In other words, the idea of a chosen people, guys, is applicable to any man who follows Abraham's example, regardless of genealogy. The last half of verse 17 above, well, got, uh, Paul is definition of lazy, law, Log is, oh my, to impute, wreck, and to account. Um, that is to say, uh, well, when God gave his promise to Abraham, he only had one son, Ishmael, and he was born to him at 86 years old. Abraham was 99 when God gave him um, this promise. And we, because we later read that through Isaac shall your descendants be named. So we know that the promise was to be filled through Isaac, not through Ishmael. In verse 18, we see in, in hope, against hope, he believed in order that he might become a father of many nations. According to that which has been spoken, so shall your descendants be. Wow. In hope, against hope. Can you guys believe that? Do you know anyone who is not a believer yet, who has not been covered um, who doesn't understand that they've been covered by the blood and, and, and that uh, they can be, they can be, res- that they are, have been restored back to God through Jesus and that they don't have to live a life of sin and despair and depression and pain and misery, that they can have the Holy Spirit living inside of them and they can have life. Can you, do you know how to have faith like Abraham? Because in verse 18, it says, and hope against hope. He believed in order that he might become a father of many nations. Maybe in hope against hope, you can believe in order that people, that you would see the salvation of those people in your life that you love so very much. Hmm? I don't know. So, in other words, God was calling what was not as though it were. This is the nature of imputed righteousness. We obtain the promise of righteousness by faith, right? Up front, long before we were actually made righteous. He imputes righteousness to us in the same manner that he did with Abraham. And this is illustrated by the fact that he imputed many nations to Abraham long before the fact. Verse 19 says, and without faith, and excuse me, and without becoming weak in faith, He contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. Yet, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Some of us need to be fully assured that God is able to do what he promised, and that he is able to also perform what he promised. Verse 17, when Abraham fell on his face and laughed, this is, excuse me, this is Genesis 17, 17. 
So you guys remember, Abraham was obviously pretty aware that he was old and shriveled up. And Abraham laughed with joy at the promise. He says in Genesis 17, 17, it says, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man 100 years old? And will Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Many people have the impression that Abraham laughed as if God were telling a joke. But they, they think that Abraham did not really believe it. But Abraham did believe it. He laughed because of the irony of the situation. It is not just like God to make it first possible. Well, is it not just like God to make it first possible and then go ahead and do it? First impossible and then go ahead and do it. So, guys, for this reason, God imputed righteousness to him in spite of its seeming impossibility. Romans chapter 4 verse 21 and 22 says, And being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able to perform. Therefore, it was also reckoned, imputed to him as righteousness. Do you guys know that righteousness is imputed to you for believing God's voice? Just believing what he said that he would do. When God says that all the, um, when he says that all the families of the earth shall be blessed, when he says that the, as the waters cover the sea, shows out the knowledge of the Lord cover the earth, when he says that he is the savior of all men, especially those who believe, do you believe that? Because if you, if, I mean, I'm just, it, there is a universal position that's being taken place here, guys. There's a universal position that's being taken place here. And we're coming up on uh, the end of our segment. God called what was not as though it were by calling Abraham righteous. By the same principle that he imputed many nations to him before the fact. So here's how righteousness is imputed to all. Verse 23. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was reckoned to him, but for our sake also, to whom righteousness will be reckoned as those who believe, that is, have faith in him who raised Jesus up our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered up because of our transgression and was raised up because of our justification. So here, Paul makes the application to us in our own position of righteousness with God. Even as Abraham, we who have faith in him who raised Jesus, our Lord from the dead, are also called righteous. Our righteousness is imputed even as Abraham's was imputed. It is not infused. It will take the second work of Christ to fulfill the prophecy of the second goat that removes sin. Of course, we see this in Leviticus chapter 16, verse 20 through 22. Hey, guys, we have run out of time. Um, thank you so much for listening. I hope this uh, means something to you. hope that you got something out of this. Blessings to you and peace. And I will see you on the next episode of The Overcoming Life.